Welcome to On the Cusp, the podcast that analyzes the new forms of aggression facing liberal democracies and hears from the innovative people at the forefront of countering that aggression. I'm your host, Elizabeth Braw, and I also lead Ruse's Modern Deterrence Project, which studies such hostile activities and what to do about them. Karl Popper famously worried about the open society and its enemies, which is what we're experiencing so strongly today. And that makes it imperative that we as members of open societies do our best to protect our society in our way of life. And we, that's not just governments, but every single one of us. You can find On the Cusp wherever you find your favorite podcasts. And to learn more about Mondeterrans, visit rusi.org slash Mondeterrans, where you can also sign up for our mailing list and learn more about our events, which currently take place on Zoom and are mostly open to all. And you can tweet me too. I'm Elizabeth Braw. Many thanks to our partners at Willis House Watson for making this podcast possible. Now, we are still social distancing, so we are recording this interview uh, remotely. So I apologize for any noises or a buzz on the phone line or the like. During this coronavirus crisis, I venture to suggest that everyone has woken up to the fact that societies need to do more to protect themselves against a range of threats. Some countries, such as Finland and New Zealand, have done very well battling the virus because they acted early and involved the whole population. Now, Finland, of course, has decades-long experience perfecting total defense, where everyone has a role to play in keeping the country safe. Another country that has done extremely well is Latvia. And that's not success in coronavirus isolation. It's built on a total defense system that the Latvians have been building up for the past couple of years. And that includes a whole-of-society effort in a, in a wide range of areas, involving, of course, defense against potential Russian military aggression, but other areas as well, including defense against gray zone aggression and national contingency preparation. Latvia's total defense has seven pillars, military capabilities, public-private cooperation, education of society, civil defense, strategic communication, economic resilience, and psychological resilience. And as the Ministry of Defense of Latvia states in its total defense presentation, a strong comprehensive society begins with the willingness of the population to participate in the defense of the country. Awareness of crisis and war is necessary in being able to resist an attack. That preparation came in very handy when coronavirus hit Europe, including Latvia. And I venture to suggest that other countries would do well to study the Latvians' efforts and learn from them. I'm speaking today with Dr. Artis Pabriks, Defense Minister and Deputy Prime Minister of Latvia. And first of all, Dr. Pabriks, I'd like to congratulate you on Latvia's really phenomenal success in fighting coronavirus. You have uh, an extremely low uh, mortality count, which uh, feels morbid to mention, but only around 20 people in Latvia have died of coronavirus. And uh, so congratulations. Thank you very much, but uh, I would take congratulations, um, let's say, with care because we never know how the things develop. But at this moment, yes, we have been quite lucky and quite successful. Thank you. 
And, and the reason I, I mention that is, is uh, not just because, as, as, as you mentioned, we are in the middle of, of the pandemic still, but also because Latvia's approach to fighting coronavirus is linked to national security and, and your ministry has played a role in, in, in that effort. Could you tell me a little bit about uh, and tell our listeners a little bit about the Ministry of Defense's role and the Armed Forces role in, in, uh, in this effort? Well, first of all, of course, um, the largest um, thanks goes anyway to the um, Ministry of Health, because we as a government have been following all the advices, uh, what our doctors and experts from the Ministry of Health and from uh, medical circles have been giving us. That's number one. But as far as the role of um, Ministry of Defense, I would say that uh, we have been uh, by not knowing that this pandemic will come, we have been uh, starting to prepare for um, similar uh, challenges already at least a year ago, because uh, we decided in uh, our country that since we are living, if I may say so, in a tough neighborhood, uh, as a small country uh, bordering a large one, which have been for a number of times in history invading us, uh, we need a larger society preparement for different types of crises. So we have been studying um, experience of some other countries uh, in Europe and in Asia, and we came to conclusions that we have to implement so-called comprehensive state defense system, which should unite and uh, coordinate um, interaction between uh, state and municipal institutions, businesses and civil society. So during the last one and a half year, we have been conducting a number of exercises, which would include, for instance, bringing all our government into the woods in a tents and telling that now we have a crisis and, and uh, there have been um, ministers taking uh, matches out uh, who is still alive and who is dead, if I may say so, and who is mm -hmm. taking control of the country. And uh, of course, such type of challenges basically included um, a different type of, 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 of problems, starting with financial problems where you can't draw money out of bankomats, problems with uh, organizing um, a movement of uh, our uh, old uh, people's social care houses or kindergartens or different types of, uh, of uh, communication network uh, challenges and etc. So uh, we conducted such crisis in each and every ministry. So each and every ministry has been uh, also um, conducting um, tests, stress tests, what can they do and what they can't do in the types of crisis. And the same we did also with private um, uh, business enterprises. So uh, when the pandemic was hitting us, we also understood that we very have to react very quickly. And we need also to organize uh, reserves for at least three months for all the individual equipment what is needed for this type of pandemic. So I would say that uh, why we have been relatively successful when uh, this coronavirus was hitting us is that, first of all, we have a historic experience of uh, large scale, how to say, crisis from time to time coming, unfortunately. Secondly, we are a small country where uh, we can um, organize uh, things probably quicker and easier than some larger ones. Even if we are 2 million, the size, of course, of country is not so small, 64,000 square kilometers, but the population is 2 million. 
Then um, I think we had relatively uh, disciplinated society, which uh, doesn't like government very much as it is in many countries today, but uh, they have been uh, taking, uh, let's say, advice from doctors and from us quite seriously. So, for instance, when we had uh, returnees coming from Great Britain back or Ireland or some other countries, then uh, local villagers have been actually, I would say, complaining or also calling police and telling, look, these people came back and some of them are not observing isolation for 14 days. So we had a social awareness. Uh, we had started to use masks quite quickly. So I think uh, uh, all together, all these um, aspects gave us um, possibility to be relatively successful. Yeah, it, it's interesting. Uh, Latvia, of course, was better prepared than, than some other countries. But you also, as you said, uh, were quite lucky in that Latvia had been introducing uh, this comprehensive defense system over the past couple of years. And and um, if I understand it correctly, it's it's a modern version of, of what uh, some... Uh, Nordic countries had during the Cold War and then mostly did away with, which was called total defense and, and where really the point was that everybody has a role to play in national security. And so um, I've read about it, but can you uh, tell our listeners a little bit about the pillars of comprehensive defense, uh, which parts of society are involved? And I know, for example, that uh, you, you put very uh, heavy emphasis on involvement by the private sector. So I want to come to that later, but maybe first, if you can just go through which which parts of society are involved or would you like to be involved in, in, in comprehensive defense? So first of all, uh, this uh, comprehensive uh, defense system is not fully implemented. It's still in the process. But uh, the important thing is that we have to create a mutual trust between civil society, uh, entrepreneurs, businesses, and uh, state and local um, uh, governments. And each and every of uh, these facets uh, must know what they will do during the crisis, how can they themselves take care of themselves, at least for the nearest 72 hours, and uh, um, what uh, they can expect from others. Because if we would be hit, for instance, by such a disaster uh, like war, for instance, then of course our military forces, which are, uh, which are professional forces, they'll be quite busy with other things. They will not be able to help very much to kindergartens, schools, or, or, or some other um, institutions. So um, what we try to explain is that uh, people must think how do they take care of themselves as well. As far as civil society and NGOs, that means that uh, we prepared now brochures and uh, we have uh, information available how to protect yourself for the nearest 72 hours. If you lose electricity, if you lose water, if you lose food, if something else happens. So we, we have, for instance, a 72 hour kit, which must be available at home, including toilet paper. <laughs> and at this moment, probably it will be also masks, face masks, yeah. which we did not include before. And we try to advertise it. And actually the big campaign regarding these 72 hours will, will start, in fact, next week. That's one thing. As far as the businesses and enterprises, if there is a crisis, we would like to know uh, how much of production they will be able to keep, how much they will be capable to produce, because our supply lines will be cut. For instance, now with uh, face masks and other protective gear, it's produced mainly in China. So uh, borders are partly closed. Chinese are the only ones who produce. Where do we get them? 
So um, it also uh, um, means that uh, we passed a law in the last uh, few months within the framework of comprehensive defense system that uh, in uh, co- crucial businesses, uh, people will not be able in uh, during the crisis leave their jobs. They would have to work. They will be not uh, allowed to quit them. The same also regarding the legislation on parliamentarians. They will not be uh, drafted or they will not be able even to uh, join uh, our National Guards as a volunteer. They would have to be ready to work and pass legislation. So yeah. there are a number of restrictions which we say we can implement in such type of crisis. But once we speak about this, because we, of course, speak about the to- total large crisis, we also prepare society's thinking to interact in and help each other and to think also among themselves and not to just sit in sofa and, let's say, eat um, chips and, and wait when government will do something for them. So state, it's not something which is separated from us. State is part of society because we created it. So we have to act together. Exactly. And, and I think that's that's what's so critical to, to treat the, the public as, as a resource rather than a burden to government, because I think uh, most people want, uh, want to be able to, to uh, deal with the crisis and they want to be able to, to contribute to uh, daily life being uh, as, as, as uh, main, being maintained uh, as far as possible. Uh, but the, the, the problem in crisis planning and defense planning so far, I think, since the end of the Cold War has been that that we haven't really prepared the public for it. And so they, they don't have the foggiest idea of what to do in a crisis. Uh, but Latvia has clearly done better than other countries. Uh, could you uh, address uh, briefly what in particular, you know, the, the sort of actions that you have taken and the preparedness, the uh, planning that you have done with the private sector? I know, for example, you've conducted a, a very large uh, crisis management exercise with, with the private sector. Well, we have been uh, um, organizing information campaign within uh, larger enterprises or important enterprises, and we have been asking them um, to conduct uh, crisis um, uh, lessons or, 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 or exercises, which means that, for instance, we go to one of the enterprises, we give, give them a closed envelope, uh, and they are reading the scenario, and then they have to act. And then they must think, where do they get um, uh, spare parts or resources for their production? Uh, what do they do if, if uh, there is some kind of uh, um, problems with, uh, with power cuts? Let's say different type of, of, of such, uh, such uh, challenges for private businesses or, for instance, for banks. Well, do, uh, because it's very famous uh, now to talk or, or, or import, people are talking that we all go for electronic money and why do we need a cash? And we, need, we know that some countries, uh, I will not name them, are telling that uh, we simply should abolish cash and simply uh, deal with, um, with uh, plastic cards. But mm-hmm. in the event of crisis, you can be easily cut out of this um, plastic uh, money and then what do you do if you are uh, either in small business or you are a simply civilian? You are left without any means of survival because uh, if you have a cyber attack, banks are not working. If you don't have uh, electricity, they are not working. So how, how do you pay? How do you buy some exactly. food? So uh, it's not so easy. One thing is to speak about modernity and transparency, but other thing is to think what, what happens if such crisis hits us. And uh, I think uh, what you mm, mentioned about... Um, societies in Europe after the Second World War or after the Cold War, 
that uh, many people have been um, believing that uh, their security, either uh, from wars or from different health challenges, are eternal and, 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 and they might not appear because we are so modern and we are so, so developed. But um, this, is, um, this is not like real life actually works and the security can evaporate in chimney extremely easy. So we must not forget about this. Exactly. And, and uh, the more modern we become and the more convenient life becomes, the more mul- vulnerable we become to disruption, which makes it even more important to plan for, for those disruptions. Can I ask, uh, it, so uh, your comprehensive defense system obviously relies on, on the involvement by the private sector and by the public on, on a combination of, of well, on, on a voluntary basis. And, and I, I guess there's legislation also backing it up. But an, an important aspect is to, to incentivize or, or to encourage people to, to be part of the solution. How has uh, your ministry and, and the wider government gone about that? Because asking people to, to contribute to something that they haven't, to con- haven't had to contribute to in the past is, is, is a bit of a challenging uh, ask, is it not? Well, uh, look, um, we are not asking anything particular for them to contribute uh, a part of their thinking because uh, we want people to be better educated and knowledgeable because uh, if uh, there is happening a car accident on the street, there are two possibilities. You can go and help and you know how to give the first uh, aid and assistance until doctors arrive or you simply uh, take a phone and you record it and uh, do nothing. So we want that people are doing the first thing, but uh, in order to be active and in order to uh, help others, you must be educated. And uh, this is the biggest challenge because people, of course, uh, might um, think that once crisis will hit, they will then they will be ready to do something. But if you are not prepared, then you are not ready to do anything on the street to help others or to help your family or etc. So we need to give this information. And what we have been doing in our country, and this, I would uh, say, might be quite, um, uh, it might sound quite challenging to many uh, developed Western societies. But again, uh, because of our um, geography and and history, we decided we will go for this. We uh, start from 2024, we start to introduce a state defense system also in our um, uh, schools, elementary schools which means from the grade 9s to 12s, uh, which would be in uh, children age from 16 to 19, they will be educated in uh, uh, civilian defense, and they would have also a certain education as far as um, uh, military matters, because we do not have a compulsory military service. We have only professionals, and then we have a National Guard, which are grown-ups volunteers. So what do we want? We want that uh, uh, we give this modern crisis education, which involves civilian and uh, certain military aspects, to all our youngsters, boys and girls, uh, so they know in an event of different types of crisis, what kind of first aid they can do, what would be their position in society, and how they can protect themselves, and if they are lucky, also their beloved ones nearby. So we, we don't, in former times, you know, um, 50 years ago or 20 years ago, once you have a, had a compulsory military service, uh, there have been a number of males educated in, in, in this event as well, but that was mainly with a reserve to call them into the army. In our case, 
that's not so necessary, but we want that as much as possible, the largest part of society is educated about uh, events of crisis. And it's it's a fantastic concept. I hope people outside or governments uh, outside Latvia will will pick up. So just for to add to what you just said and, and explain to listeners. So this is a, a new curriculum that has been is being rolled out as we speak at high schools across Latvia and will eventually be taught at all high schools. And it involves uh, resilience training, information literacy and, and uh, some physical and, and some physical training and sort of, uh, rudimentary defense training to make all high schoolers part of, of uh, national security and in a sort of a resilience capacity rather than uh, as, as conscripts. And I, I sincerely hope that other countries will look at this because it's, uh, to my mind, a much better solution than than general conscription, which just adds burden to the armed forces and is is not very popular among many people who have to do it. Um, uh, another aspect I wanted to bring up is the long journey that, that Latvia has taken since uh, since independence, almost three decades ago, and you have been part of this journey and there are a number of anniversaries coming up. And do you f- feel confident today that it was a uh, that Latvia took the right path in being so um, strident in in, uh, wanting to join the EU and NATO. And well, let's take that question first and then we can look ahead um, once you have answered this question. Well, I I don't want to sound pathetic, but um, I would say um, that um, I joined the first independence movements when uh, I was in early early years of, of my studies in university. And uh, in order not to sound pathetic, I still have to say that this is a choice to be a free man or to be a slave. And in our case, uh, it was uh, a struggle, a fight, um, not only for our national independence as a country, but also for our individual liberation. Because those who did not experience uh, uh, Soviet Union, those who did not experience communism uh, and have been living always in free society, they sometimes um, do not know the value, the uh, real value of freedom. And I think for us, and also our younger generation already don't know that, but I think for us who have been living basically in both systems, first authoritarian system and then in liberal democracy, I think that choice is very obvious. So uh, yes, this path of last 30 years for Latvia was not without uh, pain and it was not uh, also without uh, some mistakes um, as far as the reform process, transition and etc. But uh, if we would have to choose, I'm certain that most of us would uh, do the same road again because um, there is not much more uh, things enjoyable than individual and national freedom. And uh, just to, to tell the listeners, I think I'm, I'm right in saying, Dr. Pabrik, that you visited Western Europe uh, for the first time 30 years ago, which is not that long ago. And I, if I'm not mistaken, it was West Germany. Isn't that right? Yes, I first time, if you ask about my visit, first time I visited Western Germany in 1989. That was the first time I could get abroad. And I was more than 20 years old. And uh, now, three decades later, you're... Deputy Prime Minister of Free Country. And I'm mentioning that just for everybody's information to, to highlight how close actually the, the, the Soviet Union and the Cold War is to our situation today. You in your own lifetime have experienced completely different systems. And that's why I think it, it, it 
if I may put words into your mouth, it makes sense to, or it's imperative, in fact, to involve all of society, in this case, all of Latvia, in, in the effort to keep the country safe, uh, whatever the threat may be. Can I no. ask, just uh, uh, to yeah. wrap up this conversation, thank you for your excellence and, and extremely informative and, and, and inspiring answers. But can I ask you what the next step is in comprehensive defense? What can we expect uh, To, to see next in Latvia, we have talked about involving industry, we have talked about um, the national defense curriculum. What, what is the next step? Well, the next step is, of course, introduction of uh, this um, defense learning in schools, because that uh, should be compulsory in all uh, gymnasiums or high schools starting from 2024. At this moment, it is only on the level of project where about 50 schools or a bit more than 50 schools are involved. That's one thing. Uh, and of course, we will continue with exercises with ministries and the government and, and particularly we would like to develop the resilience of society, as you mentioned, all society, involvement of NGOs and industries, because we need also be capable to um, shorten these supply lines and capable at least Uh, provide something which is fundamental for survival uh, here at home. And that's maybe not always corresponds to the ideas of uh, total free market, which actually doesn't exist anyway, but, but we need to do this. And I think this is very important for Europeans as, as a continent as well. We can't rely always only on the cheapest supply lines in the, in the peaceful times. We must know also that uh, sometimes uh, Uh, some clouds can cover the sun, and, and, and that's not so far. Crises are coming quite frequently, actually. Exactly, and it doesn't even have to be a, a hostile event that, uh, that uh, disrupts supply chains. It can be Mother Nature as well, as it was in, in the case of coronavirus. But regardless of, of, uh, of the, the cause, the, the result is that our supply chains are disrupted, and that then becomes a national security issue. Um, Minister Pabriks, Pabriks, Artis Pabriks, uh, Defence Minister and Deputy Prime Minister of Latvia, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Madam. Till next time. Should other countries get serious about involving the whole population in national security? Is it a good idea to teach national security as part of the curriculum for teenagers? And how to involve the private sector in whole-of-society defense and preparedness? Tweet me your thoughts. My Twitter handle again is Elizabeth Braw. Many thanks to our producer Tom Askett. We'll be back very soon with another episode and another guest who's doing pioneering work. See you on the cusp.